Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we are joined today on the other side of the mic by Todd Wazell, founder and CEO of Baxis. Sir, we, uh, we've been uh, long overdue for this, this get-together, this arrangement to dive into everything that's going on um, for folks who are maybe unfamiliar, as I was about a month and a half ago. You guys are sort of basically building out a platform for, uh, you can think of it as uh, bourbon whiskey um, verification on chain. This is kind of a narrative we've seen play out before where, uh, you know, from everything with, with, I remember like five years ago, oranges on the blockchain and wine on the blockchain. And of course, uh, real estate, uh, on the, on the blockchain as well. This is sort of, um, a, a longer story also kind of tied to, um, the intersection of crypto and luxury goods as well, right? This is another sort of narrative. So walk us through the platform and how sort of crypto is involved. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to take it off the top, and, and you did a really good job of explaining it, but Baxis is a secure way to trade wines and spirits. Um, and that's ultimately like the core of it. So like we use blockchain um, to provide users with proof of ownership of actual um, and proof of authenticity um, for bottles and casks that are safely stored and vaulted inside of the Baxis vaults. So every time that a bottle comes in, it undergoes a 360-degree scan, undergoes an um, expert authentication and an AI model on top of that. And then it actually, we tokenize the, those images and all the metadata about those bottles or about those barrels. And then that's what people are able to trade. They, you know, they have these tokens that they can see the bottle they're trading. It's actually one of one. Each one is, you know, it's non-fungible. Each one bottle, each token represents one specific bottle that's displayed in that in that token. And you're able to trade these with friends back and forth. You're able to redeem them and actually drink them and enjoy them. You're able to gift them on the platform. So, Frank, if I wanted to send you a Christmas gift, and who knows, maybe I will, um, you know, you'll basically log in and all of a sudden you'll get an email like you've got a gift and there's a bottle of whiskey sitting there waiting in your account for you. Um, you know, the way that PayPal, you know, when they first launched, it was email your friends money, you know, on Baxis, you can email your friends whiskey. Understood. One bottle is one bottle. And so basically what you're saying, right, is there's this um, verification process that probably gives the user, the, the collector, the drinker more information or visibility into um, this market that's relatively opaque. And we can get into that, um, that opaqueness um, because we kind of touched on it when we, when we met up. But maybe um, juxtapose the, the platform that you've established here with just the traditional, I'll use the word market structure of whiskey collecting and, and trading, right? This is something that um, when, when we uh, met up, you described many situations in which you know, folks are at an antique roadshow and they have a, you know, a hundred, a hundred year old bottle of bourbon that was left in their great uncle's um, closet. And they have no idea that it's worth X, X or Y. Um, but what, what exactly is the problem with sort of like the traditional um, outside of those weird sort of um, instances, what does the traditional market structure look like for this? And how is this a, an improvement upon it. Yeah. So, and that's, 
So a great way of really looking at it is that we're taking kind of the elements that have existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and bringing over some of the new technology that exists to make it more efficient. So traditionally, you have a couple of ways that, you know, whiskey sales will take place now. Um, The first one is you walk into your liquor store, right? So you walk into your local liquor store, you find the bottle on the shelf, you buy it, um, you take it home, you let it sit there for a little bit. And then you go online one day and you type it in because you're like, hey, uh, you drink it, you enjoy it, you want to buy another one. And then the next day you discover that that bottle is not available anywhere at your local liquor store anymore. It's not available anywhere within the area. And you end up on one of these websites where it's like, okay, this is, you know, I bought this bottle for $75 and the only price I could find it for online is $450. And this happens a lot, especially with these kind of newer cult brands where something will really take off. And then people start buying them up. They start drinking them and consuming them. There's a lot less now in circulation than there were when they originally came out. And so the prices get higher and higher. And it's these kind of specialty shops that really capitalize on this and specifically are charging what we call kind of secondary market prices um, to make it available to the consumers. Now, there are a lot of gray markets that exist, you know, privately on Reddit and Craigslist and, and on Facebook in particular, a lot of private Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups and channels that people are basically just selling back and forth amongst themselves. Um, and the issues with that are twofold. One of them is the actual verification and the authenticity. So you have a lot of scams that run through these, you know, these groups because people will, you know, you're paying the guy before he ships the bottle. So you need to make sure that after you, you know, that the guy has references that people will vouch for them. Um, but there are always scams that are run. So you could pay someone and then the bottle never actually shows up. And because you're not doing it, you know, from a liquor store on a credit card where you can do a chargeback, you're out, you're out of the money. You, you've got, you know, you're out of luck over there. Um, the other side of it is that it's technically illegal, you know, selling peer to peer alcohol in the United States. If you don't have liquor licenses, um, you're not allowed to do that. And so you have a lot of people who might want to sell something that they own, but for very good reason are not comfortable selling it through, you know, a gray market kind of illegal, illicit marketplace. Um, and then the last side of it is the auction houses, you know, traditional auctions that run, you know, for wines and spirits. And the issues with the auctions are multifold. So one of them is they, they often have very, very high buyer's premiums, which means that the price that you're actually paying at Hammer is, you know, that's the baseline price. Then you attack on the, you know, the Hammer fee, the convenience fees, all these other fees that come onto it. And you might end up paying an additional 10 to 30% for the bottle from the price that you actually, you know, agreed to buy it at. Um, and then once you've actually bought it, then it has to get shipped. So now these bottles are constantly being shipped back and forth to people, which has both the risk of the bottle itself, because these are, you know, glass, some of them are old, they're fragile, they're delicate, like they can break, and then, you know, again, the whiskey is gone in that case. Or um, the other issue, and this is, you know, it's just the environmental thing, is that these bottles are getting shipped back and forth constantly, just, you know, I buy it, I send it to an auction, you buy it from the auction, it gets sent to you, then you send it back to the auction. And there's this constant shipping back and forth, which has the risk of breakage, um, the environmental impact, and ultimately just the speed that it takes and the delays because these auctions run once a month. So if I want to sell a bottle now, I have to wait until the next auction intake period, as opposed to just saying, great, I'm going to go and get liquidity against this right now and sell this bottle. Um, and so that becomes like a really big issue also, as opposed to having how Baxis does it, which is a standard marketplace where we actually vault everything and then the individual owners are able to choose their prices. You know, we provide that historic pricing data. So how these bottles have sold at auctions and where they're trading for, but each individual owner ultimately gets to set their own price. So we have certain bottles that are sitting on the Baxis marketplace right now that the bottles are 
you know, nearly identical. It's the same bottle from the same batch or same edition, but they're priced entirely differently because one owner values his, you know, at 2200 and the other owner is like, hey, I'm looking to sell this and I'm willing to take 2000 or 1950 So that's a really big part of it as well is really connecting those buyers and sellers. And then one of the features that we're adding soon, like on a, you know, similar to a StockX is you can actually submit an offer or an NFT marketplace. So you might say, hey, it's listed at 1950 I really want this bottle, but I'm only willing to pay $17.50. So you can put that offer in immediately, and then the owner gets the choice to click, hey, accept, and then that transaction is instantaneous. So that's really a big part of it as well, is the owner has the money in their account instantly, and you have the bottle in your account. So you don't have that two to three-week delay, if not even longer, that you typically have with uh, with traditional auctions. Now, so this 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 makes a lot of sense, right? Like, um, without sort of trusted um, middlemen like sort of what you're facilitating through this platform. It's hard to know if you're getting a good price. Um, it's difficult to know um, if you're buying from someone reliable. Um, but why do you necessarily need uh, crypto here? Why can't we just trust Todd and and the other folks at the firm to sort of just verify um, the authenticity, store it, and then, and then just create a traditional um, marketplace there? Like, you know, similar to uh, on the watch side of things like a Bob's watches or something of that nature. Sure. So there's a bunch of reasons why we use blockchain kind of to underlie the entire, you know, the entire Baxis infrastructure. Um, The first one is the transparency. So obviously, one of the big issues that you have with online stores, trends, you know, anything that's pulling off of a private database is that there's always the ability for manipulation. If an auction house isn't happy with the price that something sold, they can, you know, delist the price if there's if you know there's a lot of manipulation that takes place over there the transparency that blocked you there's a lot of you know self-dealing people buying and trading amongst themselves one of the things that we saw when we looked at blockchain was that even people trying to kind of run those scams and operations in the nft space ended up getting caught by the community the community digs into it and looks at it and says okay there are people who are manipulating and artificially driving the price of this up versus actual people who are buying it and trading it and consuming it um, and that was really big for us is we want to really empower users to get to be able to, you know, understand how the market is operating. So there's the transparency of the trading side. Um, two other things that were super important is on the authenticity is being able to actually, sure, we are a trusted, you know, third party intermediary. But one of the things that when we look at, you know, crypto is about this idea of creating trustlessness of creating, you know, like where you don't need to trust a specific person. And so by being able to use the blockchain element to actually track the, you know, all of the metadata for each bottle, as well as the authenticity, it means that these bottles, even after they're redeemed, because we, you know, tag them with an RFID and we, you know, and we actually, you know, as part of the authentication, it's almost like PSA, like you actually now have this that you can take with you at any point. And people can't fake that because it's actually stored on chain. So if they go and scan the RFID, it's like, here's the bottle. And, you know, this was authenticated. It'll actually take you to the site and you're like, okay, well, this is not the bottle in the backs of scan. So this is, you know, you're trying to rip off this authentic- authenticity or authentication that was done. And they can actually check that and track that on chain. Um, two other pieces is, and this is really for us, the biggest one is the interoperability. It means now that you're able to... Um, you know, use a, a lending protocol and actually borrow money against your your bottles or your casks. You're able to go to an auction platform somewhere else and actually use them for auctions. You're able to trade them for other goods that you want. So somebody might have a similar platform to Baxis that does watches on chain, and you can now trade your whiskey for a watch or a pair of sneakers or something like can that. Can you so, trade it? Can you go to you know Jupiter and swap your you know 
McAllen, whatever, um, uh, for a thousand bonk? Uh, not on Jupiter yet, but you know, we'll get there, but you can go to a, um, you know, to an, an NFT marketplace, you know, a Tensor, a Magic Eden, um, I think uh, famous Fox Feds has Foxy Swap, and you can actually do that. You can take a bottle of McAllen and say, "Hey, I like your, you know, your 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 PFP, you know, your profile picture JPEG, and like I'm going to trade you, I'm going to trade you a bottle for it or a barrel for it." You can do that with, um, again, I say watches, sneakers, anything that's being brought on chain, and that's kind of the exciting part about other people in this RWA space doing what Baxis is doing for other types of asset classes is it makes that ability to do those trades and swaps significantly faster, more efficient, and transparent. So that trade is now recorded on chain. So you know that that rare bottle of Macallan was just traded for a Rolex. And now you can sort of get a sense of the price and the value of each of those two things. Interesting. And so to what extent is that happening right now? So that's in its earliest stages. We've um, we actually today on a call I was on, you know, I, I put that announcement out because there was a, a profile picture that I found super exciting. You know, uh, the Tensorians, they've got a whole bunch of benefits and stuff coming out and like access to their marketplace. And so I was like, all right, if anyone wants to trade, you know, a JPEG for a barrel of whiskey, like let me know and I'll do it. Um, and so that's like kind of my first offer I put out into that space. I am tracking closely some of the other companies emerging in this space that are doing things like watches because, um, you know, as a big watch collector, in addition to, you know, wines and spirits, like 100%, I would be in that space, I'd be willing to trade watches or trade whiskeys for watches. And, and I've done it on the in the offline sense, you know, before web three, I've done it. But even that adds that level of complication, I can only do it with people that I already know and trust. So you know, a small group of two or three friends who are also into watches are willing to do those trades. But you know, it doesn't really scale when you're looking to do it with, you know, totally anonymous people all over the world. That stands to reason. Um, but it's an interesting example of how crypto is beginning to engage with the real world. Um, you know, it's it's often uh, uh, Joe Weisenthal Bloomberg often talks about the extent to which like DeFi in particular is just sort of exists to create more leverage to trade more tokens and swap tokens to then take leverage on other tokens. And it's kind of just within this, you know, isolated bucket. Um, whereas this sort of allows you to leverage the technology of crypto to extract more value out of an asset that was maybe something you could extract value out of, but was difficult to do so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, for us, something that we, you know, that we definitely see is that like, you know, it creates liquidity and kind of more illiquid assets again, via the, whether it's the DeFi borrowing, whether it's the instant ability to see bids and asks. So you have an understanding of like, okay, if I'm willing to do a deal for this asset or use this asset as collateral for something else, I know exactly at the value and the price that I can sell it to into a liquid market right now. Um, and those are the types of things that you can't do without having both a global user base that's able to transact instantly. That's one of the other advantages is like the ability to check out. And, you know, we abstract a lot of this on Baxis to make it easy for non-crypto users. But, you know, everything is priced in US dollars, but you can pay in USDC. Um, we're adding a function where you can pay in crypto and it'll auto convert it to USDC so that the owners of the bottles can, you know, cash out to their bank or can use it to buy and spend more on the platform. So that's really, really important also for kind of this global transactability is that you don't need to worry about somebody being in a different country and the wires taking a long time and the actual transfer of funds to be you know substantially delayed, which really speeds up the 
when you're able to speed up the velocity of trading, you're able to speed up the, you know, the price discovery and the liquidity as well. That's kind of a byproduct of it, which is going to ultimately benefit the, you know, all of the traders, all of the people in the ecosystem, the producers and the distilleries themselves, because they'll get better access to capital because, you know, underwriters and lenders will be able to see how their assets and how their products, you know, again, I, I talk about these as assets, but they're really products, you know, these are consumables. Um, and it's one of the, my favorite reasons of looking at them as assets is because there might be 130 bottles that are released out of something. But every time I open one, there's one less. And there's a huge amount of demand for it, which means that the price is going to keep moving, um, you know, in car, you know, respectively of the of the lack of supply. So walk us through the extent to which like this maybe resembles um, an NFT platform. And like when you think about the future of NFTs, how much of it is how how much of it is is basically something similar to to Baxis? Like, are, are we just going to have all sorts of these assets all together on on you know across these platforms? You talked about interoperability earlier. Yeah, that's that's really the direction that I see it. You know, obviously we're seeing uh, you know on Solana specifically kind of like a resurgence of uh, of JPEGs and profile picture NFTs really skyrocketing along with the ch- as the chain is doing better, but. One of the things that I notice is that the reason that most of these NFTs go higher is that they're related often to some sort of, you know, IRL experience or some sort of alternative benefit that you get, you know, reduced trading fees on a marketplace or better access to features from, you know, from established companies that release these NFTs kind of as a way to show your support for their for their product. And so when I think about, you know, all the different crypto conferences and like I'm like why is it that we're talking about blockchain and decentralization but these crypto conferences are all taking pers- taking place in person and it's because people really like to get together with other people they like to enjoy you know whether it's going out for a drink or whether it's you know just sitting down and having a chat there's there's a certain amount of human connectivity especially I think post covid where people love to actually spend time with other people and so when I think about NFTs in the space for where they have the most room to grow, it's actually in, you know, what what is called as RWAs, you know, real world assets or IRL kind of experiences, because ultimately that's what we still do. We still live in a physical and a real world. We still, you know, want to drink real wine and real whiskey. We're not, you know, you can't drink a JPEG. And so that becomes the means of liquidity and the means of transferring ownership. But ultimately the technology itself is so much more useful for, for again, for real world things, you know, whether it's a car title, the ability to, you know, trade or rent a car, um, uh, you know, we have like Turo for car rentals or like an Avis, but like the ability to go on and see the token of it, you know, at a parking lot and then just rent the NFT and get access to the car for a day. Um, you know, we use Helium inside of our vaults to track, um, you know, using the IoT network to track like the actual temperature and humidity conditions. And we use them to track, you know, the barrel maturation. Um, but that's the same type of technology that eventually will be able to be attached to anything, you know, city bikes, cars and again and and actually giving people this ability through tokenization to access rentals to access access to bottles you know clothing whatever it is that people are currently doing um tokenization just makes it more liquid and makes it much more transparent and substantially substantially easier for people to actually you know understand the value of what they have sitting in their you know sitting in their closet at home now i imagine some of these folks that are collecting uh old whiskeys um are are of a older generation, as it were, to what extent um, has uh, has um, onboarding these these folks been difficult because of the crypto element, um, setting up a wallet or uh, kind of having to engage in the wild west of the token world? 
Yeah. Um, so that's something that we really, really leaned hard into on Baxis is like making this totally, totally understandable to people who are outside of the crypto space. Because again, exactly, you're, you're spot on that there are the vast majority of these types of bottles and casks and assets are sitting in an in older generation's possession right now. Um, so we've done a lot of abstraction on that on Baxis in the sense of when you log in, you log in using your email. Um, there isn't anything about connecting wallets. You don't have to understand the crypto backend or infrastructure. Um, when you want to buy something, you can use Apple Pay, Google Pay, a credit card. So there's there's still a lot of familiarity with people who have at least really embraced Web2 to understand what's going on. Um, so all of that kind of tokenization element is really abstracted away for the users. So when they send their bottles to us, you know, they log in, they see their account, they see their account value or, you know, how much things have been trading at or sort of kind of the, you know, most recent sale price of a bottle, but they also click into the image and they get to see that 360 degree scan. So it's not about the crypto side for the, you know, for these older users. It's about the, Hey, this is, you know, the stuff that I love to buy and sell and collect brought to me in a really easy way. Again, using credit card email, um, they hook up their bank accounts via plaid. So, so, you know, they're not dealing with USDC, they're dealing with dollar, you know, the value of credit in their account, and they can like, cash that out directly to their bank. So that's really a big thing for us as well as making this super, super usable and accessible to people of, of really every age. And it's one of our, you know, proudest, you know, achievements is that we, I, I think, as far as like crypto platforms go, I think we're probably the one that has the largest user base of, you know, 70 and 80 year old users, because to them, they're just interacting with, you know, a whiskey marketplace or a wine marketplace, they're not interacting with like a, you know, a crypto dad. So they basically have both options. I mean, if they wanted to take custody of these coins themselves, they could. And if they just want to engage with a traditional um, marketplace, they can as well. For sure. But they actually do custody them the entire time. So the wallet abstraction that we use um, means that they're actually, it is their wallet. They just don't know necessarily that they're using a wallet. So it's not like we are actually, you know, custodying the tokens and listing it for them. Um, that's all done through their, you know, through their wallet. Um, but again, the wallet itself is abstracted away. So they just view it as logging into another website with an email. And can you move them to other wallets mm -hmm. if you wanted to? Yeah, so it's all, um, again, our platform right now is all built out on Solana. So that's exactly it. You can send those tokens to any other wallet, any address. Um, you can export your wallet. You know, you can access through the back end with the provider we use. They have a way for you to actually access the private keys if you want to, you know, take load that wallet into Phantom or into, you know, one of these other Soulflare, you know, Solana-based wallet providers. Um, but you could also just, you know, send them over to your ledger and keep them stored in, you know, in, in cold storage if you want it. Got it. So what's next for the platform? What are you most excited about looking out to the next six months? Yeah. So for us, the the most exciting thing that we're seeing is um, it's twofold. One of them is the demand side, like bringing there's a lot now, like a substantially larger amount of both, um, you know, whiskey collectors and traders who are onboarding onto the platform. And so getting to see like them kind of proposing even features that they would want is something that's super exciting for us. Like, you know, we're building this product for them and for this market. So understanding where it is that they're looking to get is, you know, again, for us, for us, the most exciting part of this, is like, how do we keep adding value to that market? Um, so some of the new features that, like I said, we literally just rolled out yesterday into production gifting. So if you log in now and buy a bottle, you click on the little gift icon, you type in their email, and you can go and send a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of wine to someone anywhere in the world as you know, as soon as they log in, they receive it. Um, so that's like a super exciting thing, especially heading into the holiday season now that I'm, I'm really excited for. Um, but for next year, I think one of the most exciting things that we're seeing is also the 
institutional side. So there's a lot of really big, you know, whiskey funds and financial institutions in the whiskey space themselves that are actually starting to involve themselves and get more embedded into the into the market. And so they're providing a tremendous amount of liquidity, um, whether it's on the buy side or on the sell side, that's going to create more opportunities for new collectors, new enthusiasts, uh, you know, drinkers and, and, you know, traders to really, you know, be able to trade, you know, with counterparties that are, that are, you know, really trading in size and doing volume. And all of that leads back to, to me, which is the most exciting part is really being able to work with these incredible producers themselves. So the distilleries, the winemakers, the, you know, the, um, the wineries, the, you know, the vintners and everyone and the master distillers and being able to sit down with them and the brands and say like, what is it that you're looking for? Are you looking to reach a new audience? You know, because we can use our backend data to go and, you know, promote your products to people who have bottles that are similar um, and might be interested in trying your product. It's the, it's like I said, you know, it's the IRL event. It's the ability to get people together to open a new bottle of whiskey or a new bottle of wine that they've never tried before and to get their feedback and be able to provide that feedback in real time to the producers so that they can understand um, what their market really wants. And so it's it's kind of all of the, connectivity that, you know, Web3 is really providing us that that gets me the most excited about next year. And and really just, I'd say it's really about growth. It's about community growth. And it's about, you know, uh, uh, product growth on the platform. How do um, some of these real life um, IRL um, efforts or, or, or platforms, products, how do they maybe add value to the underpinning uh, token or ecosystem to which they're associated? So do you mind clarifying? I'm curious a little bit, uh, just so I make sure I'm answering the question. I mean, like, so if, if the future of, um, you know, luxury goods or spirits and wines all reside on chain, does that, does that sort of add more value or how does it add more value to the underpinning, um, blockchain ecosystems? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, in first, I would say that they add value in two fronts. They add tremendous amount of value to the blockchain ecosystem, and they add a tremendous amount of value to the traditional ecosystems that they come out of. So the blockchain ecosystem, the two ways that they add value is that they're bringing in new users who otherwise would not really be interested necessarily in crypto or blockchain. Um, because again, once you kind of get into it and you're like, wait, I can buy my wine and my whiskey on a platform like Baxis. Well, I'm also a sneaker collector. I'm also a trading card collector. I'm also a, you know, so the collector mindset now shifts and says like, where else can I, you know, can I now operate in this blockchain space? Where else can I interact with people in this space? And the other thing is it provides longer term, you know, assets of value. So one of the risks that we saw, you know, in the last crypto collapse was that most NFT platforms and projects, you know, took a really, really, really serious beating because there's no intrinsic value necessarily to the NFTs. So it's really about community. And if the community goes sour or, you know, the, the floor price drops, um, people tend to abandon the asset. Now, with a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey or a cask, like there's an intrinsic value there. So there's something like there's somebody who will buy that bottle at a certain price just to open it and drink it because they know that the value is there. And so by bringing more stable, um, traditional kind of, you know, collectibles and assets on chain, you end up actually creating a more sustainable ecosystem that is open and willing to attract new users into the into the space rather than kind of the same, um, you know, cycle of, of, you know, of, of, 
crypto kind of, you know, bullish crypto users. Um, and on the real world side, the value gets added because, again, one of the biggest issues that wines and spirits producers face is that they don't actually know who their real customers and consumers are. They don't have a way to interact with them because they sell their their wine or their whiskey to a, you know, to a, an importer who sells it to a distributor, who sells it to a liquor store, who sells it to you, who sends it to an auction house that I buy. And then I send it to an auction house and a friend buys it. So at the end of the day, they don't actually know who's there. They're not making any money off of those secondary sales and the value that they're creating for the ecosystem in the space. And for us, that's something that's really, you know, an important side is that now they'll be able to go and say, okay, it's anonymized. We don't see who it is, but this wallet has these 10 bottles of one of our products. We would like to invite them to a private tasting that we're going to host in New York City. And then they're like, oh, I'm actually based in, you know, they can communicate and say, I'm actually based in LA. And then they can say, okay, well, let's see if we can find another group of people out there that we can interact with. So it builds real relationships between brands and consumers, which is incredibly important for brands, especially in times where people are becoming more, um, you know, they're becoming a little bit more deliberate with how they're spending their dollars. Um, the place where people tend to spend their dollars then is with, you know, is with brands that they feel a particular affinity for, even when they're, you know, watching their, uh, watching their, uh, you know, their pockets and their wallets. And so giving the brands the ability to build longer term relationships with consumers is going to, you know, pay off in spades for them. Well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to join the program. Thank you so much for having me. I am, uh, I'm only sorry we didn't do this after five o'clock so we couldn't share a drink. I know. Next time we will. Talk to you soon. Sounds like a perfect plan. Take care, Frank. Take care. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.